Welcome to the Exploring Unschooling Podcast. For countless parents, the journey to unschooling has redefined childhood and transformed their family relationships. Are you curious? Together, let's explore what living and learning looks like without school. Hello, explorers. I'm Pam Larickia, and this is episode number 308 of the podcast. It's the 15th of December, 2021, as I record this intro. And Philip Mott, a former teacher and unschooling dad to three young children, is my guest this week. Philip shares how his unschooling journey began and how his experience as a teacher and what he learned about educational philosophy shaped his path. We talk about the challenges of de-schooling and how ingrained our cultural beliefs really are. For Philip, the opposite of unschooling is authoritarianism, and de-schooling is all about questioning authoritarian practices and replacing that model with a focus on relationships. He also invites dads on this journey to question their own gut instincts, wondering how much of what we think is our gut is really societal messages. Philip is passionate about sharing the philosophy of unschooling, and we have a wonderful conversation. Before we dive in, I want to take a moment to thank everyone who has chosen to support the podcast through Patreon. I deeply appreciate all my patrons. Your generous support helps pay for the hosting and transcription, as well as my time spent creating new episodes each week. It's instrumental in keeping the podcast archive freely available to anyone who's curious and wants to explore the fascinating world of unschooling. If you'd like to join my community of patrons and scoop up some great rewards along the way, check out the Exploring Unschooling page at patreon.com. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash exploring unschooling. And now here's my conversation with Philip. Welcome, I'm Pam Larickia from livingjoyfully.ca and today I'm here with Philip Mott. Hi, Philip. Hello. <laughs> We first met on Instagram a while back, and I've been enjoying following you and reading your thoughts as you're sharing them there. And I'm really looking forward to learning more about how your unschooling journey is unfolding. So to get us started, can you share with us a bit about you and your family? What's everybody interested in right now? Yeah, absolutely. So I think one of the things that we, one of the posts that we first connected on was, you had talked about how many former teachers I think you were having conversations with and I chimed in and I I think maybe you were having a lot of guests who were former teachers recently. And so you mentioned that and, um, and I'm running into a lot of former teachers who are interested in unschooling too. Um, So let's see, we've been unschooling um, maybe technically for only four and a half years uh, since we first started exploring some different preschoolers for our firstborn. But we really knew about self-directed learning when he was about one. Um, And that really led into unschooling uh, on its own. So we have a seven, a five and a three-year-old now. Um, The adults in the family, my wife and I are really into exploring uh, tabletop gaming together Um, and she is getting really into actually designing her own games. Um, she found a lot of the games that were designed for kids were lacking, um, a level of creativity and theme that she really wanted. So she started exploring creating games for the family. And so we've made some connections too there. So she started actually prototyping those games and like, and pitching them to publishers, um, which is really cool. Uh, I'm getting into um, improv. I've, I used to try doing like stand-up comedy in my younger years. And so I'm kind of reconnecting with that, those roots of uh, my younger self of just trying things. And so I've been doing improv classes for the last year, um, which has been fun. The oldest is super into Pokemon, uh, the trading card game. Mm-hmm. And so he does that a lot. The uh, his younger sister enjoys following him around and she likes making her own games like mom does. So whatever mom is working on, she'll kind of get her own stuff out and start working on her own game. And then the youngest just gets in everyone's business and watches Frozen whenever she can. <laughs> <laughs> 
that she's, is uh, she, she's lovely. Yeah. Yeah. That's wonderful. I, I really, I love how you're picking back up your uh, interest, you know, from stand up into improv. I think that's something that happens along the way a little bit as our kids get yeah. a bit older, but also as we sink more and more into unschooling and just into the lifestyle and we see our kids doing their thing and it's like, Oh, mm. I can do this too. <laughs> yeah. And you're, yeah, your it's really cool. Gaming. That sounds like it, it developed kind of naturally in that, you know, your experience with the games that you had access to and then just the inspiration to start developing yourself and then growing mm-hmm. from there. That is so fast. That's why I love this question because it's just so interesting to hear what other families are, are up to. And even um, the Pokemon trading card game is another game based thing. Yeah. Right. So it sounds like you guys are very busy playing. <laughs> yeah. It's weird because um, my wife, there's two things that she never thought she would do. She never really liked board games because mm-hmm. her parents, th- their family just didn't really play board games. And when they did, she didn't like them. Um, and she never thought she would be a homeschooler at all. I mean, she kind of like wrote that off. I was always kind of interested in it because my family did it for a few years. Uh, I was never really officially homeschooled, um, but some of my older siblings were. And um, and some of our family friends homeschooled all the way through school. And so I had kind of a positive view of it. But um, I mean, she went to private schools growing up and and she just never had a positive view of it at all, um, which I thought was really interesting. It's ironic how we kind of end up doing some of the things that we always hated. We make those switches in life. Yeah, that's fun to see um, how I was going to say like her shift as well as like your shift. It was something that you didn't really end up doing. Right. But yeah. just had just had it in the back of your mind that that might be something interesting. It's it. And actually, that leads us very nicely into the next question. So let's just go there first and then we can dive yeah, sure. a bit more, um, because I am very curious to uh, learn how you discovered unschooling. I don't know if because um, you mentioned homeschooling, whether or not that kind of was in your vocabulary. And in fact, whether even that was a word or a term at the time, because so often um, back then it was really just all called homeschooling. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious how your teaching experience as well wove into your family's choice to move to unschooling. So I'd love to hear what that looked like. Yeah. So I took some notes about this. I tried to think about some, what were some of the key um the key events or experiences in my life that kind of led me there. Um, so one of them was my siblings were homeschooled. I had already had kind of a positive view of it and I did not have a, a positive experience with school. Uh, primar- I mean, I liked being around other kids. I think that was never really an issue for me. It was always the relationships with the adults. Um, never had, there was one teacher, I think that, I liked in school and that was um, not until um, my sophomore year in high school. Um, There were other teachers I think I got along with enough, but you know, knowing that I really wanted to spend time with. And it's interesting when I run into other former teachers, they generally had a, a teacher in their life that was early on that really inspired them to be a teacher. And I never really felt like I had that. Um, So then I was, so I didn't have that positive experience. And then um, in my mid twenties, I was kind of feeling aimless. Um, I hadn't gone to college. I didn't really have a, um, a steady career choice. And I was encouraged to go into teaching because I was doing uh, private music lessons at the music shop I was working at. And people said, you would be a really great teacher because you're really patient with kids. Um, and so I went back to college and and kind of went that route. And I learned about constructivism and 
your listeners might be familiar with one of the big names, which is uh, Jean Piaget. Um, kind of his theories about how knowledge is constructed. Mm-hmm. And that, um, my instructors in college really impressed on me that children can learn without being taught, um, which you wouldn't think would be something that you would learn in the teacher preparation. Um, and that we can really, we can leverage a child's interests in order to teach them things that are important to us too. And which is for me was like kind of a halfway step to unschooling. Uh, what unschoolers do is we tend to remove ourselves entirely um, where a constructivist just removes a big part of our direction. So, um, and then when I, when I started teaching, I saw that the schools talked a good game. They talked about, you know, mental health. They talked about the whole child meeting the needs of the child, but it, it was not practiced. Um, the, these really, uh, we were creating the classrooms that I grew up in and that was it. It was, it was nothing like what I had envisioned from my teacher preparation. And then finally, um, we started our family and we, um, we watched a documentary. Uh, you might be familiar with class dismissed Yes. and it, and they interviewed many of the, um, kind of influencers in the unschooling field. And then we learned about John Holt, um, and learned about, I think it was Sudbury Valley at the time and realized that there was actually a term for what we were looking for, for people who were not doing any academic work. Um, so that skips, I think a few steps along the way. Um, I think one of our big influencers was we came across um, Magda Gerber, who had written a lot about self-directed learning in infants and babies and toddlers. And, um, and we kind of started practicing her methodology of observation and we were just blown away by what our 13 month old could do on his own. We were always told that an infant could not, that you had to keep an infant entertained or else it would just be chaos. And we would, we would sit with our young boy and watch him just entertain himself for, you know, 30, 40 minutes at a time. And it just blew our minds. And we thought, well, if, if this is possible when they're an infant, then what else can they do that we don't think they can do? And so it really led us on that self-directed path. And then, so anything that, had any sort of like, we need to teach kids this was like, nope, we were, <laughs> we were going, ah. <laughs> and, and yeah, then we discovered the actual unschooling that there was a whole framework that explored that. Ah, so your way just gently through those experiences got comfortable with the idea of homeschooling. Yeah. Yeah. And now she's the one that's, I'm like, I'm more open. Like if my kids would want to go to school, I'm like, yeah, that would be fine. If that's, if they want that as part of their experience where my wife is like, I don't want them to, I'll try to talk them out of it. (laughs) (laughs) Which we know, we both know that there's a lot of unschoolers on either side of that, where some are completely comfortable with using the public school system as part of their process. And some are, completely against it. And, um, I can see arguments for both. Yeah, me too. Absolutely. I think that's, you definitely, um, have people leaning in both directions. Some sometimes very strongly for me, um, when it comes to questions like that, I, I've ended up using, um, my relationship with my child as, as a guide, right. Kind of let that bubble up and see, because if my resistance to something they're wanting to try like school um, was getting, if their resistance was influencing or impacting our relationship, 
enough that it was becoming disconnected. That was what I would kind of use as a clue. Okay, I need to revisit why I'm so, you know, um, adamant about the thing. And, you know, maybe I stay adamant about the thing, but that's also um, a clue that, okay, I need to find other ways to keep our relationship connected. Because if you push, if you push far enough apart, then, you know, you aren't going to have the opportunity for conversations. They aren't going to come to you with questions. They aren't, you know, you know what I mean? It's going to impact more than just that one choice. It's going to impact the rest of your relationship, your other um, opportunities for conversations and connections. So for me, that's kind of what I used as my guide when, when there was something that I was strongly, you know, sticking to my guns about or something. <laughs> yeah. And that reminds me of something that uh, William Glasser, who was one of the early authors that influenced me would talk about is thinking about the relationship and specifically is what I'm doing more likely to help the relationship or hurt the relationship. Mm -hmm. And that should serve as a guide, uh, which I think is really wise. Um, And I should mention that my view on schooling is not something I, I try to impose on others as well. Like for me personally, like I don't even try to convince my wife that, that she needs to be more flexible about Mm -hmm. how she views. Like if she wants to try to talk them out of uh, going to a school, like that's her relationship with the children. And that's something she has to navigate where if I'm more free about it, that's something that I have to navigate. And that has different consequences that I may not be aware of. So it's not that I think that um, being more open to your child's choices about schooling is the right way. It's just where I'm at right now. Exactly. Exactly. Which is why I found the relationship to be a great guide because it wasn't about me. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, So it wasn't about me feeling defensive and having to stick to my guns or me having to convince other people that my way is right. It was more about what was happening with that. And I love your point about that because I think that's also something we kind of learn along the way that we are, we are fascinating and wonderfully unique as we are and the things Mm -hmm. that we, you know, and the things that we think and they aren't wrong just because people think differently than we do. Right. And that is, I don't know. I just found that to be very opening and freeing and so much weight dropped off me when I realized, you know what? I don't, this is right for me. So I can really lean into that. This is right for me, but it doesn't need to be right for everyone else. So not only did that help my relationship with my, my kids, but it helped my relationship with my partner. It helped my relationship with friends and people in the world and acquaintances because I could just be curious of what they think and why they think that. And for them to bring themselves to their relationships with other people, like you were saying, her relationship with the kids is, is theirs to navigate. And it doesn't mean that we're like, you know, you guys figure it out. If if the kids want to talk to you about it, or she wants to talk to you about it, you know, you have those conversations, you have openings to share what you're seeing. If they want to hear that you, the ability to um, share with them how you're seeing someone else's like, so when you're talking to your Kids, if it, okay, this is hypothetical, but you know, if they come up and say, oh, you know, mom really doesn't want me to go to school and I'm kind of curious about it. You know, we can, we can have that conversation with them. We can say, yeah, you know, uh, we can share our understanding of the other person. So it just widens up people's um, understanding of each other over time. They don't need to be big, sit down. You need to understand why your mom thinks that. But no, I'm sure they're curious. They'd be curious as to, oh, how did she get to that? And you could share little tidbits that you know that. And then they can each bring those pieces to the conversation and let your wife know what you're learning about your kids as maybe you're having those conversations. So it's just it just really opens up the world when we're more curious than 
convicted yeah. in our own ideas, right? Yeah, I totally think so. Yeah, yeah. That's that's it's so interesting to think about. It. <laughs> but okay, so that leads us nicely into uh the idea of de-schooling, because I imagine that the need for de-schooling be- made sense pretty quickly. Um having been a teacher and understanding the system, especially the way you got into it. So that's really interesting. I was curious about one of what was one of the more challenging aspects of de-schooling for you. And if you could share a bit about how you worked through that. Yeah, I don't know if, um, I don't know if, if I would use the word challenging, it's maybe a drastic, it was a drastic difference for me is, um, um, I guess there is that kind of cognitive dissonance that happens when you're learning something new. So you could call it challenging. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's the way I was thinking about de-schooling uh, this morning, I was kind of prepping for our conversation was that de-schooling, I think, describes something that we all go through anytime our worldview drastically changes. Um, sometimes in the community, we even talk about unschooling as like a religious conversion because it changes the way you look at everything. And de-schooling is about letting go of these beliefs that you kind of were holding on to. And it's letting go of those things and trying to find what am I grabbing onto um, in its place? Because something does tend to take the place of those things, but that de-schooling process is like the time between letting go of the old things and what you grab onto, Um, which for kids, the experience is letting go of the adults agendas on my life and exploring that time between what other people set for me. And then what do I start to grab on for myself? And I think us adults go through that process as well. Um, I'm trying to think about the order I want to talk about this in. Like, um, you know, when I first kind of came into the community, I thought I saw that unschooling was not very common. And I saw that where I live specifically in the Midwest is very uh, authoritarian in uh, in practice. And so when I first started kind of writing about parenting and schooling, I was like, I'm going to show people what it's like. <laughs> like I'm going to teach everybody how to do this. Cause obviously no one understands it. Um, and so I just emphatically, you know, stated things on Twitter specifically. And so my schooling process was, kind of hitting a wall with some people getting into a lot of arguments and then meeting people in the unschooling community who would correct me and help me understand how I was, I had not let go of some things. If I kind of use that metaphor, like I'm holding on to this stuff and I was bringing misogyny and racism and uh, authoritarian ideas with me. I was kind of dragging those along. And so allowing myself to kind of stop like slow down enough to really hear them and then learn to let go of some of those things that I think was my de-schooling process. And so I think I'm in that gap where I'm sort of looking for what's the next thing that I hold on to um, because, you know, authoritarianism is such a it's like a black hole (laughs) and so it it has so much gravity to it if you think of it in like physics terms um where you know something has to kind of take that place and so i'm in that spot as a father and as a husband of like what does take its place and um and realizing I think the grief and the challenge has just been looking at the way the things that I did before and realizing how authoritarian and misogynistic some of those things were. Um, So dealing with that regret 
and uh, the grief of what I had done to my loved ones. Um, by normal standards, it just seems like, oh, that's normal, like husband, man, dad stuff. But as an unschooler, as an anti-authoritarian, um, it's like, no, that's not, it shouldn't be, you know, that stuff is worth grieving about. Um, so does that unpack that question a little bit? Oh, you took it in so many beautiful places, so many directions, Philip. I really did love that. Yes, yes. Um, I love the description of authoritarianism as a black hole for people to use, like whatever the thing is for people, because there's often one thing um, that certainly one first thing, you know, that like, oh my gosh, it's pervasive, like not realizing how many places it shows up in our lives, right? Like, so I love the black hole analogy because it really, it really emphasizes that nature, right? And I do love, I mean, I love the term de-schooling and I also really feel um, that it doesn't end yet the the thing that helps you know that you're getting closer is that you're not worried about it anymore. Yeah. You know, as in like the things that you're struggling with or that you're you're talking about and working through right now, Philip, like that is that is life, right? There will always be things that new things that we're recognizing, new layers that we're peeling back. Uh, a new um, structure. Oh, geez, you know, that is impacting me. Um, And I'm bringing that with me into other areas of conversation, like you described. So it's learning a bit more about ourselves. And we are always going to be learning a bit more about ourselves and finding new ways. Like my kids are all grown and I'm still finding ways that Things are impacting my relationship, impacting the way I just approach my days around other people in my family. Um, so, but I still think de-schooling has such value because it it lets people know up front, right, that you are going to be asking yourself some big questions mm-hmm. and and really um, taking that time to work through what that means so that there, it gives them kind of an idea up front, like you've got some, some work to do here. And so much of it, it really is. It's our work to do. I love the way you described your kids work, right. Is like, Oh, the agency that they have over their lives now, when they're not being directed by adults, it does. It's not like a switch where you can say, Oh, you know, I'm not going to tell you what to do anymore. And (laughs) I would never say that to them. You know what I mean? You're not going to go, hey, you know what? You do whatever you want. You know, it's just it's just us not um, exerting that control so often. Mm-hmm. And like you're saying, you're going to find it in different layers, right? Like we're saying, it's like, oh, that can feel like control. Maybe I won't. Maybe I'll phrase it a different way. So as we're playing with that gap that you were talking about, like, what am I going to replace this with? Like the dropping it, it, I think it can be easier to understand um, what we're dropping and why we're kind of moving away from those things. But it takes a while to figure out what we want to replace it with because or else you're just kind of stuck with that vacuum. Let's go back to that space metaphor, right, Mm -hmm. where chaos just kind of reigns because you've got a vacuum here and you've kind of released that control, but you haven't figured out what you're going to, what you're going to replace it with. Um, Just spoiler alert. I really feel that connection and relationship is what we're replacing that with because then we are having conversations with our kids and we're helping them figure out those pieces. Like we were talking about earlier conversations that might bubble up in relationships with other people, in the things that they're interested in, in the things that they want to do. It's that we can have these conversations and help them and support them, either helping them with their processing through the conversations, helping them with supplies, helping them get places. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it becomes just us all living together 
together, right? Without, without trying to control other people, but everybody figuring out, taking that time to figure out what they want and then together figuring out a way to make it work within our family. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I kept thinking about that, the, the, the black hole metaphor, as you're talking, like, what is the new thing that we're going to hold on to? It's the relationship. So I imagine ourselves drawn between, pulled between two different stars and where a black hole is considered a dead star, I think, mm-hmm. um, which has an, an immense gravity and an idea in our mind has gravity. It pulls us to it. And if we do not launch ourselves into the orbit of a new idea, into a new star um, that still has light in it, <laughs> um, then that black hole will suck us back in because it feels comfortable. You know, I think a lot of researchers has sh- have shown that when we're, when we're kind of backed in a corner, we go to what we're comfortable with. And that black hole of authoritarian fact that the idea that I decide what is right for you it's easier if the, the answers to the questions are easier. It's just, I get to decide um, if we don't get far enough from that idea, it will, it will find its way into our new language where, I mean, you and I have both come across unschoolers that still have a lot of authoritarian baggage that they're carrying with them. And it's like, okay, you're using the new language of unschooling, but you're bringing the, the, the death star with you, (laughs) like you're bringing the authoritarian idea, um, which I don't know if you want to get right into the next question, but it kind of feeds into that next question of like, do you want me to go ahead and go? Yeah. You want to ask that question first? Yeah. Here. Uh, yeah, I'll just put that up there. Um, because de-schooling does often quickly grow beyond school to explore the kind of person that we want to be. And when we had connected, and you've mentioned it uh, already in our conversation, but that lately you've been redefining your role as father. And yeah, I wanted to dive into that process, how it expands bigger than, than school itself, right? Yeah. So when I, when I first started unschooling, I think I saw it as a way to shape my children, because I was coming from that authoritarian view of it's my job to shape my children and unschooling was merely a better tool at doing that. Mm -hmm. It was going to shape my child into, into my own image to borrow a religious metaphor. Um, And that process of de-schooling helped me better understand that it's not actually a tool for shaping as many of us treat it it's a roadblock. It keeps me out of their way. It's a reminder to stay back and to allow them to shape themselves. Um, and me actually watching that process watching them uh, gravitate towards the things that they enjoy that bring them joy. It allows me to be I mean, full circle to the first question of like, oh, oh, if if their interests are good enough for them, why aren't my interests good enough for me? Why do I feel like I have to justify these things? Um, Because if if the purpose is to find joy, why am I allowing other people's definition of of joy to define what I'm going to do? Um, so I've allowed myself to explore things that I always kind of, I've always kind of liked, but I've never allowed myself to do. Uh, one of them is like role-playing gaming, uh, like Dungeons and Dragons and stuff like that. Um, you know, that was something really frowned upon anything that was like mythological, high fantasy, anything like that was, um, seen as demonic and uh, but I've always been sort of drawn to it I've always thought it was very interesting um, and so now I'm finding a group of uh, people that are 
are doing role-playing games. And so we're, we're getting ready to start some together. So um, now I see my role as a dad to, to like develop like side by side with my kids and not to, not to oversee their development, um, but to just live together and, and both seeking ways of enjoying each other. Yeah, so beautiful, Philip. And it's not to um, control their growth, but to um, engage and support our own, right? Like, yeah. just exactly what you were describing. It's like giving ourselves permission to like and explore the things that we like, we mm-hmm. are curious about even, you know, that we haven't, we weren't given the opportunity to explore or didn't just didn't have the opportunity before. And now we, especially through our kids and watching our kids, we learned the value of that, right? Just yeah. that permission to, you know, it doesn't need to be productive, right? You know, all those judgments that we grew up with, we get to a spot where we can just question them a little Mm -hmm. bit, right? (laughs) Yeah, no, I I love that so much. It's, and I love the way you tied it back to the very first question, you know, the things that you're, you guys are exploring now as adults. And that gets us to the beautiful piece, too, that I think comes with more experience with unschooling and helps us relax as well, is the fact that learning is lifelong. It's just something that we do, exploring new things, being curious, or diving deep into something that we love. We realize that, you know, we're learning new things in our adult years And it helps us recognize that our kids can be learning things, will be learning things throughout their lifetime. And that that helps us get rid of that, you know, um, kind of 18 year window that conventionally is like, you got to teach the kids all the things before they're adults. Um, and, And you can understand where that comes from, you know, because the, the whole 18 year thing um, in that now once they're 18 and they're out of the house, you know, they don't have to listen to you. They don't have to go to school. They don't have to learn. And a lot of kids you see are burnt out on learning by the end of school. It's like, I don't ever want to go back in the classroom and the classroom is the only way they can see, but you can see how the language of just learning gets so caught up in school. But once we start to recognize all the learning that happens outside of school and that at every age, it really helps us kind of release that need or worry that, well, what if our kids don't learn this? What if they're not interested in this? You know, that yeah. kind of stuff. That That's a big worry that I think people can, can deal with. But I just love the point that what it gets down to eventually is really discovering that it's just us as a family each living together right Mm -hmm. learning together like together as in side by side not together as in we all need to do this or we all do this but it is just so fascinating isn't it too how how well how how we find our interests uh weave together right when we're excited about something of course, other people are interested. What are you so excited about, Dad? What do you, oh, you know, I just rolled this or I'm creating this D&D character. Yeah. Or, yeah. You know, just just thinking about how games have woven into your family's lives. And as you say, like, growing up, I don't think either you or your wife would have imagined that. Just from the little bit you've shared, you know, how this would weave into your lives. And it just so beautifully does it's some that's another something that when you first come to unschooling like I loved your impression that or or um your take because I think a lot of us do get to unschooling is it's just a different way to get to the same point yeah right I know that that's how I came to it like when we when the kids came home from school and I found out about unschooling soon after that it was just going to be a replacement for school. It was just going to be a different way to get to that point that we still envisioned, you know, 
but this was going to be which a is nice a certain thing. it's that point i think to clearly define it is we have an we have a vision of we're our job as a parent is to create a certain kind of person yeah and um and unschooling is does not take us there yeah exactly yeah <laughs> It's like, if you want, uh, I know I've written it in a blog post or something, but you know, if your goal is that certain kind, that certain um, young adults that you've created, uh, you know, your easiest route is probably the conventional school route. If you, if that's what your goal is, right. Uh, Because unschooling is, is messier. It's going to have you opening that box of all sorts of questions. But if you're curious to see it, it is wonderful. And it does become a lifestyle where we're just living together. And we've kind of, you know, you say we release goals, as in, you know, we don't have we don't have that point that we want to get to anymore. So that can be scary when you imagine at first, like, I have to like, forget about that. But what you've learned along the way as you're loosening your grip on that is the beauty of the moment and how wonderful it is just to see people, kids and adults who are like just into something, just curious about something, just learning something, just making the best choice for them in this moment. And you gain that experience over and over. And it's like, okay, you know, we're cool. We're good in this moment. And that future, we're just going to be in another moment at that point. Right. So I, it's really developing trust in unschooling, I think. Right. Just in this lifestyle that, you know what, whatever those moments in the future bring, you know, we can work together and figure, figure things out, figure out a way through it. So we don't need to know. So we're releasing our hold on that future really because we're coming to trust that you know what we can deal with what comes and we we know how to learn things we're interested in in stuff like then and after you know weeks and months and years you see how those interests morph and change or deepen and grow Mm. or you just you just come to value the moment so much that you develop trust that you can move through whatever moment comes yeah, and it, and it's not to say that unschoolers don't have a um, a goal. It's just that the goal. I like how you talked about how the the location, like that we're going, is different. And I actually drew a map. I'm going to bring it up here in a little bit because I was trying to map out um, the uh, the components of my book that I've been working on. Oh, cool! Um, and because I think we do have a goal in the sense. Of the where we're going is a is we're envisioning um, a relationship with our child, yes. and that relationship is both um, in the long term, but it's also each day. Yeah. Uh, where, from an authoritarian perspective, which I consider to be the opposite of unschooling, um, is to be authoritarian. And I think the reason I choose that word is because most parents do not see themselves as authoritarian. And so drawing that hard line and saying, I, I think if you're not exploring the relationship, then you are exploring authoritarianism. Um, so that journey is both, um, both daily and by moment, like you were alluding to but it's also long-term. Do you want to see the map that I drew? It's really like chintzy. I would love to. Well, and while you grab that, I'm just going to mention that I do love that point. And actually we talked about it in the network this week um, of having like a destination or goal in mind, but it's not the difference for me is it's not that I'm looking to the future. I mapped out a path and then I'm making sure we stay as close to the path as possible what that goal does that the relationship that I have, you know, in mind that I want to maintain is it just, it gives me a direction. It's like a compass, right? This is the compass that I bring with me today that helps me make choices in today's moment that are in the direction 
that I'm wanting to go, the kind of parent that I'm wanting to be, the kind of relationship that I want to have with my kids and my partner. So that does help me make choices today, but it's not yeah. like it's not a fixed goal that I need to keep tweaking so that we're moving right. in this direction. Okay, thanks. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And it actually brings to mind. So what I'd like to do with this map, I think, is actually update it and show that there's a difference, a different location. Um because I tend to think that all parents really want to get to the same location, but the authoritarianism distracts from that. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's drawn in like purple Crayola marker. (laughs) (laughs) Beautiful, Um, beautiful. (laughs) So let's let's make sure we get the whole thing. So if people want to screenshot it and, and, and and critique it, they can. Um, (laughs) So then I have, you know, different phrases from the parent advice industry along the way. Yeah. Um, Let's see. Daddy knows best. Uh, Be the perfect parent. Uh, It's for your own good. Got to keep them entertained. These are all like the way I was envisioning it as these were like, these were like signs that you see on a road trip and they distract you from your goal, um, which is, where you're trying to go is a, an amazing relationship. We all want to have this great relationship with our kids and authoritarianism tells us that we can't have that until our kids are 18. Yeah. But what it doesn't warn us about is that authoritarian authoritarianism, authoritarianism actually breaks down the foundations of that relationship. And, um, Unless your kids also become authoritarian and then um, and then the relationship can still be there, but it's probably not as rich and as collaborative as you might have envisioned, um, even though it's still there. I know plenty of families who, you know, their parents were rough on them and had really high standards and they have a, a decent relationship, um, but it's not the kind of relationship I would want it's kind of a relationship of indifference and duty instead of love and, and warmth and, and mutual respect. It's almost like those kids, those offspring respect their parents out of duty, but not because they actually like really honor where the parent is coming from. Does that make sense? Yes. Yes. No, absolutely. It does. And then it, you know, it depends on how long that now adult child wants to play that role. It is, it can feel like a duty that, that we're performing and that's okay too, because that's our choice. And it's not like, it's not like we're, we aren't at a point where we feel like one is better than the other. These are choices that, that people are making in their relationship. And, you know, you aren't going to feel comfortable unschooling if authoritarian relationships with your child is, is where you want to be. If you feel you need to produce, you know, a particular um, kind of child, or you have expectations that you are definitively want um, your child to meet, it's not going to be a comfortable lifestyle for the family. And that's okay. You know, we're talking about people who are choosing, who are wanting to pursue this lifestyle and learn more about it. Um, because as we've been saying back when we were talking about de-schooling, it, it doesn't end. It's like being, it's like figuring out the kind of parent and person we want to be and how we grow and change. And that self-awareness piece, it's very um, important. That aspect is important to us, right? And to, and valuing the relationship. Um, with with our children and the relationships that we're developing in our family. So that's why if those are kind of our goals or things that are important to us, that's how this lifestyle resonates with us, isn't it? Yeah, I think that's a really good way to frame it, to say that, to clarify for people that if your goal is to create a certain kind of person, then, then unschooling is not going to feel comfortable. And I think it teaches us as unschoolers, a lesson about how we converse with people who are skeptical. We can have some empathy and just kind of think internally that 
this person has a different goal and for their goal, they're correct that unschooling is probably not going to feel great to them. And um, we can sort of hope for them that they, that they see that that decision has consequences. Um, But we can't necessarily stand on a, on any solid ground arguing that they're wrong Uh, because for their, for their goal, authoritarianism actually achieves that goal um, more cleanly than unschooling does. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And speaking of that, (laughs) I would love to know what your favorite thing uh, about your unschooling days is or are right now, because yeah, let's, let's lean into the fun of it for us because this is Mm -hmm. our choice, right? (laughs) Yeah. I really like the reflection process. I love throughout the day and at the end of the day, whenever it happens, um, reflecting on and being honest with my kids about what I'm experiencing. I had this really great moment with my oldest one. Um, the other day I was playing a, a game on my phone. Um, I was kind of done with my work day and playing a game and he was hanging out with me and I said, I really need to go mow the grass. Um, but I'm going to play another game. And he said, that doesn't make sense to me. (laughs) He doesn't make sense to me that you just said, I need to go do something else, but I'm going to continue doing this. And I love that honesty that we can, um, instead of me feeling like I have to, I have to set this perfect example. And if my kid ever catches me messing up on that perfect example, then I'm a, a terrible parent. But I love those moments where he can catch me in being, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Contradicting myself. He can catch me in those contradictions. And I don't feel like it's a threat to my authority because I don't have any authority. (laughs) I'm not living in that black hole anymore. Um, The, and I just explained to him, I said, yeah, that's, it doesn't make sense because I, I said that I had something to do and I've chosen not to do it, but it was, it did actually get me off my butt. (laughs) I said, I finished that game. I said, yeah, I think it is time to go mow. Even though I would have rather, you know, relaxed on the couch for 30 more minutes um, and and not gone out and mowed the grass. Uh, So that's, that's my favorite part. Another example I'll give for that is that the two oldest they're really into playing Pokemon online now. And so having, we've had some conversations about they both want to play, but they also want to play with each other. And so they can't, they can't like run around in the basement or run around outside while the other one is playing Pokemon. So at dinner the other night, I said, you guys, you guys might want to think about how you spend your time and how your actions impact the other one. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't lecturing and saying, this is what you need to do. I said, what, what is happening is one person wants to play Pokemon. The other one wants to like do rough housing and then they switch and they hurt each other's feelings. They'll say, Oh, when are you going to be done? Like, like I'm ready to play. I'm ready to wrestle and rough house and all that stuff. And the other one's like, Oh, I don't know. I want to keep playing Pokemon. And so the one who is asking them to go play will go in their room and start crying and, um, and they'll really hurt each other's feelings. So we just talked about that. Like you might want to even develop a schedule for each other where you kind of work together and like, okay, how many more games are you going to play before you're ready to go do something else and um, try to set up some, some norms for your group Um, so that you don't hurt each other's feelings as much. And they really thought about it. I don't know that they've made any changes yet, but uh, I love being able to have those conversations without feeling like I'm setting the rule for them. I'm just giving them my advice. You know, I've experienced this before. I've seen other people experience it before. You might try to think about it this way, but if you don't, you might experience more heartache and stuff, but 
you know, I'm not going to try to, I'm not going to try to step in and direct all of this. So that's, I think my favorite part is just being able to live honestly um, and, and transparently with my family. That is beautiful, Philip. And it's an amazing example of going back to that gap that we were talking about. What do we replace that control with? Like we release that telling them that you should do this to solve this problem. Right. Mm -hmm. And we get to the connection piece where we can freely share like our observations, the things that we're noticing um, without any expectation that they take it as direction, right? Maybe it's just a seed that's planted, maybe a few more upsets before it gets to the point where one of them say, hey, can we figure out something different? But it's just a beautiful example of, you know, because so often I think unschooling parents, certainly at the beginning can feel like I have to step back and not be involved, right? They just let the kids need to, you know, work it out for themselves or figure it out, you know, and there's a whole world between telling them what to do and not being involved at all. Right. Like just Mm -hmm. to share what we see, that's our experience. That's the value of, of us being part of the family. Right. But it, it is work on our part to get to the point where and work in the relationship with them that they don't take it, receive it as direction. Right. But that they receive it as caring information um, mm-hmm. that that the people in their family are noticing and and some ideas. Just maybe you want to try this. Maybe you want to try that that they can then bring with them and choose and decide what they want to do with and decide what they want to do with it over time. This is just new information for them. It's like, Oh yeah. You know, maybe, maybe they hadn't thought of it that way. Maybe they didn't realize how, um, how they kept kind of disconnecting. Right. Like for them in the moment, I'm, I'm upset about it. Like we don't know. That's the thing. We don't, we don't know everything that's going on in their head. Right. But for us to be able to share those pieces. And I love that. That's like your favorite thing right now, because it's just being in relationship. Right. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Now, before we go, I would love to know as an unschooling dad, what piece of advice would you like to share with dads who are considering or who are just starting out on this journey? Yeah. So I've pulled, um, P-O-L-L-E-E-D, pulled uh, dads on this before. Um, Like, where do they go in terms of parenting advice? And predominantly, the answer is I go with my gut. And so my advice to um, dads is to give yourself permission to question your gut. Um, The female response uh, I've come across is uh, trust your instincts. So women and men, mothers and fathers talk about it differently, but it's the same concept. Trust your instincts and go with your gut. I don't know what, I don't know, maybe gut feels more John Wayne-ish to to men. Um, But I don't think you have to discredit your gut, but be willing to question it and, and, and ask where that stuff is really coming from, because there's a good chance, um, that your gut is drawn to that authoritarian, the authoritarian culture that we live in because we become so much of what our culture is about. And if you look around and you don't, if you are a person that looks around and criticizes a bunch of things that you see within the culture, recognize that you are part of that culture and that you are drawn to those ideas as well. And so being able to find where you're, gravitating toward those ideas um, I think can be a really good starting point. And you may find that some of the stuff that you're drawn to is not part of the culture. Um, But taking the time to question that I think is really important. Yeah. I love that. I love that you found uh, just a language difference too, between gut and instinct. That, That is interesting, but it's also so interesting to think about, you know, go with your gut, but also question it, right? Yeah. Like really 
really take the time to find out what your gut is telling you or what your instincts are telling you. Because as you're saying, there can so often be a level of those that is just what we've absorbed. This is what it should be. This is what my instincts should be. And, you know, we grew up um, and absorbed that so much that that is our first impulse often, right? Is what we've been told we should do in these moments or what we should think in these moments. So taking the time to just peel that back a bit and see if that's what we really think, if that's what we really feel and, and why do we feel that? And then, and then lean into that, even if it's different than the norm. Right. Yeah. And I think the, the reasoning is that the, our internal reasoning is that the gut is natural and therefore good. Yeah. And what I'm asking people to, what I'm asking myself to do is um, first question that just because it's natural doesn't mean mean that it's good. Um, Just because it's our nature to do something. Um, I don't necessarily subscribe to that belief anyway, that we have any one nature. Um, But also questioning the fact that it's even natural um, that I don't think that our gut is natural. I don't think it's purely instinctual. Um, and maybe I don't have a, a good way to prove that, but I've just seen so evidence of how we absorb ourselves in a culture and we do the things that are norm for all, our culture. And part of understanding that is looking at the way that other cultures live and norms that they have, um, and our reactions to those betray our own dedication to our culture. For example, in some Asian cultures, they um, one of their delicacies is um, scorpion lollipops. They have these scorpions that are inside candy and they eat those. And when I see that, I'm like, I would never do that. And that betrays a bias that I have to my own cultural norms. That's my gut my gut says that I wouldn't like that. And yet people who have, who share a large majority of the same genes that I do, DNA that I do, they love it. And so being able to recognize that maybe my gut isn't as natural as I think it is. And even if it were, I give myself permission to say, just because it's natural, does that necessarily mean it's good for my relationship with my kids? Yeah, that's, that's perfect. <laughs> yeah. And I, I sometimes talk about that kind of as my inner voice. You're right. So often our instincts are just learned behaviors that we've picked up over the years. And to, to start peeling that back, to think about what we really think. Okay. Yeah. That, that looks very strange to me yet. Maybe. I haven't actually tried it. Maybe, you know, other people I love, like definitely so much is comes with our culture, right? So much of of what we know. Um, And so it is a lot of fun. Like it's overwhelming at first to start stepping out of the box. And then all Mm -hmm. of a sudden you're just like questioning everything and it can get overwhelming. Um, But it can also like for me, it really opened my eyes and brought wonder back to my days. Mm. Right. Cause now I could just be curious. I could get comfortable, comfortable asking myself questions. I could get comfortable with the idea that I don't know all the answers because we grew up thinking that once you're an adult, you know, like the adults yeah. know everything. Right. And they're right. They've got this nailed. I can't wait to be an adult. And then, you know, I'll know everything and, and I'll be able, I'll be in control, you know, but to get back to that almost childlike wonder about the world was just, just personally satisfying. And it was just such a fun way to wake up in the morning and just be kind of open and curious to how things might unfold versus thinking, you know, waking up and thinking, I, you know, I need to do X, Y, and Z. I need to control this, this, and this. And um, that just brought so much weight and pressure to my days. So anyway, that <laughs> that's what you made me think of there. 
but yeah, absolutely beautiful. Just questioning things, just being open to questioning, even if it seems like this is the way it should be done and quickly, right. That whole, we need to, we need to nail this down fast. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today, Philip. I really appreciate it. It was so much fun. Absolutely. It's pleasure was all mine. (laughs) And before we go, where can people connect with you online? So two of the best places are Instagram and Twitter. Um, Unfortunately, those handles are different (laughs) at (laughs) Philip Mott one on Twitter, um, one L in Philip and at Philip dot Mott, which I think Instagram doesn't necessarily discriminate between the dot or not. I think you can do just at Philip Mott, but I can't remember. But yeah, those are two good places to find me. I'm not very creative on Instagram. I just screenshot my Twitter. Twitter. <laughs> I noticed, but it's still good because <laughs> I'm not on Twitter, right? So that's just fun. Yeah, exactly. It's not necessarily a repeat. I have different followers on those and I love to, I mean, I just um, will connect with anyone that has unschooling in their bio. So if if you're looking for followers and you want me to follow you, just put unschooling in your bio and I'll follow you. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's awesome. And I will definitely put links to those in the show notes in case people have any trouble. You can go there and find them. Thanks again and have a wonderful day, Philip. Bye. You too, Pam. All right. See you again. I hope you found this episode helpful on your unschooling journey. And be sure to check out the growing podcast archive. The conversations never go out of date. You can find more information about my books the Living Joyfully Network online community, and the Childhood Redefined Unschooling Summit online course at my website, livingjoyfully.ca.